Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, hello, welcome to the show, welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast, I'm Osher Ginsberg, this is episode 119 with Marcus Haney, you can find him on Twitter at Marcus, H-A-N-E-Y, or one word more about him in a moment, if you're new, welcome, if you're here via the uh, radio show at Hit 105 in Brisbane, welcome, you can subscribe in the podcast up at your choice, here the last 50, 50 episodes there. Or you can hear all of them at osherginsberg.com. I'm glad you're here. Please explore the back catalogue. You can welcome... Uh, sorry, you can... E- sorry, it's late. Uh, you can email me anytime you want. Uh, send osher email at gmail.com. Uh, thank you, everybody that wrote in this week. I appreciate it very, very much uh, whenever people write in and, and talk about the connections they're making with the show. That makes me feel very, very, very special. I'm very grateful for that. You can find me on Instagram, find me on Twitter. You know where I am. Hope your week's been good. I've been dealing with the uh, the beast in my head a little bit this week. Um, I'm back and forth between Brisbane and Sydney, as you know. Brisbane's good. It's working out well. I am going to the gym a lot, uh, which is good. I ride everywhere. I don't have a car up here. I'm trying to Die, trying not to die on the road, which is important, but I'm finding that all of the working out, all of the riding and all of the gym stuff is really helping helping with the brain stuff um, at the moment. Um, weekend was good. Eski came to visit. Eski, you might remember her from an old episode. She's the Irish big wave surfer, PhD, marine biologist, empowering women in developing countries by teaching them how to surf. Yeah, her. She came to hang out with me and the family it was great also we got a puppy which is pretty awesome there's a puppy in our house now which is good um but yeah i've been uh, kind of present this week to the uh the grumpy kind of cantankerous spoiled bastard that lives within me i uh, came up twice actually came up twice on the weekend on um oh, actually it was this morning we we're having breakfast uh, going down for breakfast in Bondi somewhere and we went to get a table and they said oh 20 minutes 25 minutes and so the girls went oh let's go have a look at the bikini shop and of course like I haven't had coffee yet so I'm all cranky and we get to the bikini shop and the girls are like yeah and they're looking at the bikinis and da 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 da, da and I look around and I can't see it and I walk up to the lady and I just say with my sunglasses on with a beard with a gruff voice where's the husband chair she says Oh, we only bring that out 
when the ladies are trying things on. And I can't hear very well. So I said, I'm sorry, uh, where's the husband chair? And she said, no, I only bring it out when uh, the ladies are trying things on. But you're more than welcome to go outside and enjoy the view. So I'm like, humphity, humph, humph, humph. And I walked outside and I sat down. And I was like, God, da, da, da. I took a breath in of resentment. And I thought, well, of course she threw me out of the shop. I didn't say please. I had my sunglasses on. I didn't address her. I didn't ask nicely. I was just a, a, a grumpy person. Who want me stinking up their shop full of bikinis and pretty things? It was quite funny. I just sat out there and giggled while I watched the surfers. Then I had coffee. That made it better. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, there's, and then the little grumpy, grumpy me turned up again. Um, I've had to, I had an, an opportunity, an opportunity to uh, find some humility in my life. Um, a great man once taught me that you should find humility before humility finds you. Um, you're going to love this. This is such a spoiled white man story. Uh, in my life, in my career, I've flown a lot uh, in planes. Not me. I've sat there while other people have flown them, particularly between America and Australia. And um, there was a bit of time in my life when I was a lot more drunk and stupid than I am now. And I would want to turn left when I got on the plane because I was all about wanting to, you know, look good, which was pretty silly. It cost a lot of money. Um, but I, yeah, I flew up the front of the plane a fair bit. Um, a lot of work trips, a lot of trips to Europe, all kinds of things. But since about 2005, I've uh, had the very fortunate position of having platinum status on Qantas, which is very, very nice. I'm not going to lie. It's quite lovely. You get to get on the plane first. You get an extra bag for free. You, you get to use the first class lounges, which have showers in them when you're traveling long distances internationally. It's a really nice thing. You can get, you know, fiance and her kid into the lounge so you can feed the kid while you wait for a delayed plane it's pretty nice but last year i have not only uh, flown a lot less and i'm trying to live with a bit more humility these days live with a bit more humility about what i do with the money that i make and uh, I, I tend to turn right on the plane these days instead of turning left so that um this means that last week i lost my platinum status and wouldn't you know it that spoiled, self-entitled, righteous little asshole inside me got super upset about it. And I watched him throw a fit for a little while. And when I went to the airport the other day, I went to the gold lounge, not the platinum lounge, the gold lounge for the first time in about 11 years to go and sit amongst everybody else who's in the gold lounge. And a spoiled kid inside me was all humiliated and upset. And I watched him be upset about no longer being a platinum frequent flyer. It, like internally, my, there was a little kid inside of me like throwing a tantrum like he was on a supermarket floor. But I'm very blessed to have in my life a great mentor who's taught me a lot about dealing with a moment such as this. So I took a breath and I reminded that upset little kid inside me of how lucky that he and I are to be born white male middle class inside a safe, progressive country, to be traveling at all, to have a job to travel to, to be in love, to be engaged, to have a wonderful kid in my life, to have a wonderful family, to be fit, to be healthy, to have a family that's lovely, that I love and love me. I just kept listing the things that I'm grateful for until the self-righteous entitlement kind of let go of its vice-like grip on my serenity and slowly, slowly humility came to replace it. And with that, a wonderful sense of calm. So... Um, 
twice in one day I got to deal with that little guy. He's little, but he makes a lot of noise, but he's still within me. And I do have to deal with him from time to time. But yeah, I thought I'd share that with you because I had to deal with that today. Um, anyway, let me tell you about my guest today. I'm stoked to bring you this one. It's the start of a new year. I'm trying to bring you a bunch of discussions about making the most of your life and uh, creating a life that you want to live and talking to people who've done exactly that, who've followed what they want to do and made it into their life. Marcus Haney is a uh, filmmaker. He's a producer. He's a photographer from Pasadena, California. He's on Twitter at Marcus Haney, H-A-N-E-Y. We spoke when he was in Australia for the uh, for the premiere of his film, No Cameras Allowed, which is, you've probably seen the trailer on YouTube. Uh, it chronicles the journey that starts with him and his friends sneaking into the Coachella Festival in Palm Spring and ends with him being employed by the very bands that he jumped the fence to shoot pictures of without their permission. It's a fantastic story about passion, about enrolling others in your journey, about making friends along the way and creating the life that you dreamed of living. I'm really happy that I can bring you this wonderful conversation in my kitchen with Mr. Marcus Haney. How are you, Marcus? You good? Yeah, exhausted but good. You got off the plane this morning. It's not uncommon for people to do such a thing. They got off the plane in Sydney and just go for it. Yeah, that's what we're doing. And and so you uh, you've come all the way here. Unfortunately, we're we're in Bronte in Sydney, Australia. It's somewhat of a stormy day. It's a bit cooler today, but there were whales out there today. But you've seen Sydney when it's shining. Yes, I have. One, I've been here once before, and it was really, really nice. Yeah, cool. It's a long way from where you grew up, though, isn't it? It's a long way from where I grew up. Which was? I grew up in Los Angeles, California. What, you're like the third person I've ever met. <laughs> and I lived there for 10 years. Yeah, yeah. There, there, aren't, there aren't many of us. Where did you grow up in LA? Uh, east, like Pasadena area. Oh, lovely. Yeah, Arcadia. Oh, okay, nice. so for, for folks who don't know Pasadena, how can we describe it? It's very pretty. It Well, depends. Pas- well, there's parts of it that are pretty Pasadena junky. is so unique because it's it's it varies massively. So when I was there, you know, you have really nice houses and nine private schools, and you also have north of 210 some proper, proper gangland and some of the gnarliest public schools. Yeah, I my uh, first marathon that I trained for my coach lived in Pasadena so we would train around the mountains and everything yeah, yeah, yeah. around there and she would she was giving me the running tour she goes okay so on the other side of this freeway just stay close yeah and we're not going to be stopping for the next 15 minutes all right just yeah. so you know we're going to keep running yeah and exactly yeah. exactly that just kind of do just stand out in front of liquor stores yeah just standing yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> But no, there's other parts of Pasadena that are very very nice yeah and like JPL's there and they control yeah. robots on Mars from there it's true the Rose Bowl's there, JPL's there, uh, some great mountains. Yeah, best flea market on the planet. Yeah, it's it's a hefty one. I've bought a lot of cameras from that place. Yeah, yeah, it's a good place to do it. Gotta get there early. <laughs> you gotta get there early. Opens at five a.m. Yeah, I've it's, been there. It's nuts. Yeah, uh, if anyone ever goes to LA, you have got to go to the Rose, Rose Bowl market and then book a container to come home because yeah. it's crazy. What did your folks do growing up there? Uh, my dad is a dentist. Is a periodontist. My mom works in furniture hardware distribution. Really exciting fields. 
Wow. Big family? You want a mini? Or? Uh, there are four children. I'm the old eldest of four. Ah, crikey. I'm second of four. Nice. Yeah. So you know, you know how it is. I do. I do. And there's, a, there's definitely a number one, number two dynamic. Yes. Uh, yes. Number one gets blamed for everything number two does. What's the difference between <laughs> age years between number one and number two? So my sister, the only, only girl, is a year and a half younger than I am. And close, man. Close, yeah. yeah. And there's two more a little later on, two 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 brothers. And uh basically Eliza is had to deal with a lot growing up growing up with having three brothers. So yeah. she's tough. Yeah. She's tough as nails, extremely intelligent. She's she's getting enough degrees to make up for the degrees I never got. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> so we, but so you, you claim, you say, even though you went to university, you say you're still a high school graduate. What was high school like? Was it okay? Uh, high school, yeah. High school was that kind of figuring, figuring stuff out, you know. That's what it's for. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I played sports. I was in AP classes, which are like advanced placement classes. Off of the smart kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, right. Yeah, so I, I grew up in Arcadia, which is 80% Asian. And basically, if... Generally, and it's very you know generalizing, but there's definitely a lot of truth to this. If you're white, you played sports, and uh, not that Asians didn't play sports, but um, if you were uh, academically inclined, you're m- more more often than not Asian. So I was. Are we little, talking more Korean or more? Pretty mixed between between Chinese, Chinese Korean, Korean, a few Japanese friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was one of the few. Uh, white guys in the AP classes. And so I had a very, very weird friend group that kind of went across the spectrum. But it was great. It was a really great uh, public education. Uh, how do you guys say it here? Because in England, public and private mean complete opposite. Yeah, very different. No, we have the same thing. Okay. So public schools here are state-funded yeah. schools. Um, the kid, she goes to a public school and she's about to go to a private school. Gotcha. For high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah which is a different vibe, but... Right, right, all girls, uniforms, totally, totally, nuns. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. all about to. That's all about to happen. That was not my high school. No, no. Well, it doesn't doesn't sound like it. But so I'm guessing early on you realized that you had. Well, you can't be in an advanced placement class and not think. Well, I'm a little different from everybody else. No, no, no. I think it was it was a way from. It wasn't like that. It was like I really, really worked. I wasn't. I don't think I was necessarily like super, super, super smart. I think I worked really, really hard, and uh, and for me, it was you know college was such a a big focus. Yeah. Getting into college, you know, you've worked since kindergarten to like for that moment to get into college. And AP classes were a good way to not only help your your you know chances of getting to college, but uh, if you complete the AP, AP tests and you get a certain score, uh, it takes care of college credit. So really, yeah. So they're essentially college classes offered at high school. So I was, t- I was taking, yeah, taking college classes offered at high school. Well, that's my kids. No, no, no. Um, and and that that for me it was like okay, well I can get a lot of stuff out of the way and get straight to the stuff I want to do in college. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, most of the AP classes I took were math and. And in film school, no math was required, so it didn't help at all. Yeah, but it makes your brain think in different ways. I think that's the... It definitely did. That, well, that's the thing that they never taught. I 
never wanted or felt like mathematics was at all. I just never understood why. If they just simply told me, listen, we need to make you think in different directions and find solutions in different ways so you can apply those pathways in different parts of your life later on, I would have gone, okay, but I don't give a shit about differentiating anything. I don't care. Why do I care? 372, I don't give a fuck. I really don't. How's this going to help me? But if they told me that we're just trying to help your brain develop ways of thinking differently, I would have been right into it. Right. I'm 41 now, so (laughs) I'm realising that 22 years late. That's okay. (laughs) That's all right. So, But film school, how how early did you go film school's it? I mean, obviously, you knew what it was. You would have had to at least pick up a camera at some point to go, hey, this is interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I was was way deep into film uh, way before film school. Um, I think it was in... In elementary school, I would steal my family cam VHS camcorder and start making little little videos, and we made all kinds of like through middle school and and into high school like freeze frame animation Lego films and snowboarding action films and terrorist airsoft films and you know all kinds of stuff. Um, and then in high school, I that teaches you a lot because you're editing in camera, editing in VCRs. Yeah. The first thing ever I ever edited was camera to VCR, stop record, get queued up, you know, it was literally that's how I edited my first film was, you know, just using hardware. And, um, and I did learn a lot just exploring and experimenting. Because you can't and mess it up with the pre-roll. You have to have the timing be, right. Right on. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Otherwise the edit's out. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's all, the, all the... And now I've got iMovie. I can cut HD yeah. on my freaking exactly. phone. Exactly. You know, things, 1080p things HD on my phone with a soundtrack. Three, yeah. three tracks, four tracks of audio. Yeah. It's insanity. It's pretty nuts. It's pretty nuts. <laughs> but learning with those kind of, I use the Lego analogy, to use the Duplo bricks of filmmaking, it really teaches you is like, what shots am I going to need later? Absolutely. And, oh, that's not going to work. By the, when I Last time I edited, I didn't have a shot of this, so now I'll make sure. Exactly. Yeah. Like regardless of the, of the technology or the gear, like what I learned were the, the principles of, regardless of gear, there are certain... You know, there's a there's a language that that must be learned. Uh, not not like a, you know, lingual language, but like just the, the how different shots work together and et cetera, et cetera. So all that stuff, um, I unknowingly was learning going on. And then in high school, you know, I you know went out and played played high school football for two years and played volleyball and was like in the sports world and and just got so sick of hating football practice so much that. Uh, and I was like getting in trouble and stuff, and uh, not too bad. But um, our principal uh, that was been there for years was leaving, and a new young guy was coming in from Cincinnati. And my buddy and I had this idea because we knew we wanted to make films. You know, we knew we wanted to go to film school. It's like, well, what's the end goal? So we want to make feature films. Like, okay, well, why don't we do that right now? And we went to this hot shot new principal like three weeks before school started um and he didn't know who we were which is a really good thing so this is in the summer it's in the summer in the summertime break. yeah summer break we went in early and like hey look we're so and so and so and so and put on all smiles like hey here's what we want to do we want to make a full-length feature film with only high school students we want the high school orchestras you know it's one of the best orchestras in the country um to score it we want to have all high school students we want to work with other high schools and et cetera, et cetera, and we want to have our own class. We want to develop our own class for it. And basically the, the con was to, well, was, we did want to make a movie, and we did, uh, but it was also like 
to have our own class to ourselves. So my buddy and I got to carve out fifth period. So as a junior in high school, yeah. He said yes. He said yeah. Wow. So we had lunch period, like you know, four four years, four periods of class, and then lunch period, and then and then sports. We played volleyball together, my filmmaking partner and I. And so, as a junior, I was like being able to leave school at twelve noon, which was awesome. And we and 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 then we got really into it, and we wrote a full length feature film script. Got over three hundred high school students involved at one point or another, and uh, we went to Panda Restaurant Group that does Panda Express. It's yeah. like a it's like a quick Asian, uh, it's, it's quick and dirty drive through Ch- Chinese fast food. Yeah, yeah. You know? Two buck. We'd call it in Australia. We call it two buck chuck. You like yeah. you just it's, yeah. You just get it and go and eat yeah. it. They're a massive, and massive just, chain. And just hold on for like eight hours yeah. later. Just yeah. hold on yeah. <laughs> with your eyes closed. They're a massive, massive chain and they were local. And, and the film that we were making was very reflective of, of, what, of, of our high school. It was about a um, Chinese student, um, first generation, recently you know, moved over with his family and an American girl and connecting through music and kind of bridging those two worlds. So great. And uh, of course, what better... What better uh, you know, sponsorship should we go for than, than American Asian fusion, you know, fast foods went to Panda and they funded the whole thing. And I mean, it was like, we thought it was huge money back in the day, right? We did, we made a, we made a feature film for $4,000, you know, <laughs> totally, you know, we had aerial shots. I remember I convinced the, uh, the hang gliding guys down in San Diego to let me go up with my big Canon XL2. And I had like on walkie the people like all this stuff. Anyway, so hang on, you're on a tandem. Yeah, a, a, paragli- a paraglider. The, the you're on a tandem paraglider. Jumped off the cliff with a 20 kilo, like well, it's like a 50 pound camera on your shoulder. Yeah, it was it was intense. Just wrapped around my neck so it wouldn't fall. <laughs> so oh. this film, you got this. Did it count towards that your high school? Did they figure out a way to market. Yeah. So so That's I got so awesome. got class credit for it. Um, it ended up. You know, we did it. We did a local premiere for the community, charging two dollar fifty cent tickets, and it ended up selling out. And and someone at the theater was like, "You should send us to film festivals." And we're like, "Well, what are film festivals?" We didn't no idea what film festivals were, so we sent it off to film festivals. And then the next year, my senior year, I missed a lot of school because I was going to, you know, a bunch of random film festivals with it all over the place. And um, and yeah, nearly almost. I remember. I had a D in AP Calc or AP Stats, and I had already gotten into college. But if you get a, a grade that bad after you've been accepted, they'll they'll rescind your your uh-huh. acceptance. So he, he uh, Mr. Zerla, amazing teacher, and I just I just never showed up. I was traveling around. I just I just didn't have it in me anymore. Like I was almost done. So I go to the very last, one of the last days of classes and he comes over and shows me my grade. And like, Marcus, this is serious. Like, if you get this grade, you will, you'll, you know, you won't go to USC film school, which is like the dream, you know. And, and meanwhile, the school uh, magazine, once a year magazine that gets released, I was, they had me on the cover because of the film and all that. And he just puts down the cover in a a Sharpie. You sign that, I'll bring up to a B (laughs) minus. All right, so in that story, which is amazing, you've dropped so many bombs. Like, A, you've already shown in high school that you have this, and, uh, you know, you've got this ability to enroll people in what you're doing. 
which is so important. You know, you, you, you're talking to people and, and they're catching the vibe and going, yeah, all right, I'll come along. This is good. I can see this is good. Uh, but you've got that as a teenager and, and you're, you're, you're learning how to do stuff completely frugally, beyond frugal, zero dollars. <laughs> yeah, basically, this. yeah. You're, um, and you're showing others the, you know, the value of, you know, that autograph the yearbook and I'll give you, I'll <laughs> yeah. get you into college. That's <laughs> as far as I'll ever get. <laughs> Um, but it's also really interesting that you were in because you know you can't you can't be what you can't see. And if you're in Pasadena, California, for someone growing up in Brisbane, Australia, which is where I grew up, you know, you know, University of Southern California Film School is you may as well be on Mars. All right, <laughs> I mean, well, it's closer now that it's a flight away, but and the, you know, getting into it is still difficult. But for you, it's like well, it's down the road. Yeah, I know people probably know people that have gone there. It was it's one of those things like down the road, but. It's so it's it's you know the admittance percentages you know it's easier to get into Harvard undergrad than that film school production course, and so it was like, it was you know that's why I worked so hard on the grades, and even with AP classes I did not have the grades to get into USC, and I knew that and um, and in fact, I I guess I can track the sneakiness part of it all back to back to even then because um, I went down to USC. And into the admissions office with like twenty copies of that film that I made in high school, and I went to their um, like their their cubbyhole, like all, like all the all the mail is. And you got I, into the building. Yeah, and I put I put a copy in a, in a little cover letter inside of every single in the film school's admissions. Uh, and then so the place office. where people put their mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah wow. Yeah, I have no idea if that helped me at all. Uh, I'm pretty sure it did because my grades did not cut. You know, weren't weren't up to par. So hang on. So you dubbed off twenty VHS copies of this thing, or DVD by that time, D- yeah, DVD. Yeah. Yeah. You dubbed off twenty DVD copies of this stuff, which is not cheap or not not labor intensive. It's got to be an hour and ten in good traffic to get from Pasadena. Yeah, to USC. well, about forty forty five in yeah. good traffic. Yeah, yeah, to get to USC. So you've yeah. gone. Oh yeah, I'll do this. That'll help. <laughs> is that how the ideas come to you? Is it just like, oh, that sounds like a good idea? I was like, well, what can I like? If I really want something, I'll leave no, you know, if, if there's any stone left unturned and that doesn't happen, whatever it is you want doesn't happen, you're always in your mind going to be like, there's something else I could have done. You know, for, for, for me, it was so important to go to university, but also to go to film school and not just any film school, the best one in the country. It was so important to me. It's like, I'm going to do everything I possibly, possibly can to get into this program. And... That idea came like, well, what if I could just get, if I could just get everyone there to watch this feature film, you know, surely not everyone applying it has a feature film, so that will set me apart. So I need them to watch it, and they don't take, they don't, their their uh, admissions aren't about portfolio. They aren't about what you've done. They want to see through writing and through interviews what you can be, because they didn't want, you know. They, they didn't care about what you've done. So when I showed up with the interview with this, they're like, yeah, we're not watching it. We're not looking at anything. So then I was like, okay, well, how do I get them to watch it? And this is before Vimeo and before, before like, YouTube couldn't handle it. You know, it was like YouTube was just becoming a thing, but you couldn't put it on YouTube because the quality was so bad. So it was like DVDs and just, you know. Remarkable. And so you would have been, you've got to have been one of the youngest people there. 
No, because I, I I enrolled at the same time as everyone. Oh, okay. As everyone, yeah, yeah. It just right. it just I got to do because it had some AP classes. I got to do less of the general ed stuff, but the general ed ended up being better than the film classes. It's, anyway. pretty, it's a pretty amazing. Uh, it's a pretty amazing campus. I used to train for marathons around there as well. Yeah, it's yeah. very conveniently four miles uh, around, around it. it. Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting part of the city. It is, it is. It's gonna, yeah. It's it's like very, very, very affluent in that tiny USC bubble, and around it's very, very not. Mm. It's like you know, it's a little oasis inside South Central, and it's. uh, When I was living, I was living on the bubble, on that, on the border between the gnarly end, and the. Yeah, it is coming and going. Is it because it's. It's just on the right-hand side as you're going. It's like right where like the 110 and the 10. Yeah, if you go in like 10 blocks and in 10 blocks, it's in that corner. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah it's – yeah. There's a whole bunch of stories not related to anything of this. It's just like it's of being in that world for four years. Yeah. But, but come on, there's got to be something about – and everybody knows this listening. Like when you get to a new workplace and you're surrounded by people that are, oh, wow, that's kind of inspirational. Or, you know, you join a, a touch football team. And when, as soon as you get around a new group of people that you are kind of all there for the same thing, you're not friends yet. Right. But you can't help but be swept up in, hey, this is all very exciting. Yeah, yeah, did, yeah. You, did you feel that? Yes and no. Um, I quickly, you know, because I, ha- I held this thing in such high esteem, this film program. And I got there and I was blown away, you know, by some of the people there. But not by how, like, almost backwards. Like, how the hell did you graduate high school, let alone get into university? I don't want to get here. There were some real duds. And it just really put me off in a way because, like, they tell you that the – the Trojan Mafia, the USC, you know, connections is, you know, what you're getting is half of an education, half connections. Mm. And I do believe that in a way, but everyone thinks it's connections to the outside world. You know, you're connected to, the, to Hollywood immediately. So really the connections that you make within the class and you, you guys grow together throughout, yeah. you know, that's what's been amazing. But, and I found some incredible people in the film school, like five of them. And, and I've got really tight with them. And the rest just... It was, oh, man, it's hard to explain. People were there to, like, people were there for Hollywood and not for filmmaking. You know what I mean? They were there for the, you know, come come from the Midwest, big stars in their eyes, and they're big, they want to be big hotshot producers and this, and it's all about, like, the lifestyle. And, like, and within that, there are some really amazing actual storytellers, and those are the ones I really, really was drawn to. Yeah. Well, there's people that get off that plane, that Southwest Airlines flight from Kansas five yeah. times a day. <laughs> and, and and the flights from here, the flights from Sydney and Melbourne, people get off the plane all the time going, oh, yeah, Brett Ratner's just going to wait for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be on set by Wednesday. Don't worry yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. No. Nah. <laughs> yeah. So, but from and, – and your story uh, seems to me to be indicative of what I've seen to be the successful thing. It's just just, just make it. Just, just make the thing that you make. Absolutely. And, and make it again and again and again. And it might be shit. Yeah. But just keep making it. You, yeah. you can't just make one thing and go, that, I made the one thing. You just, yeah. you got to just keep making it. And eventually along that path, you'll meet other people who are making similar things. Yeah. And that's the thing that grows. Now, this was quite a calling card, this, uh, this film. But um, you made another calling card, which, which we'll get to in a moment. But so this, we're all talking about moving pictures. When did, when did stills turn up? Or was that always there? It was always there too. I, I think. Uh... As a kid, I loved 
disassembling things. Mm-hmm. I love taking apart lawnmowers and everything I get my hands on, computers and microwaves and stuff. And uh, I just, just love taking shit apart. I uh, There's one thing I cannot take apart that my, my dad would not let me take apart, and that was his camera. And uh, he instead he taught me how to use it, and so this old Canon AU one, which I still use to this day. You know, I've it's got one in that box yeah, over there. They're, they're amazing. They're they're some of the cheapest thirty five millimeter cameras you could find. It's the and first, it was the first so auto. Uh, it was the first uh, had the first fully automatic um, aperture priority. Yeah, camera. exactly. Yeah, the AU one program yeah. was yeah. a huge step. Massive. 1980 Olympics is when they brought it out. I'm pretty nerdy about the camera. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> was it 80 or 84? 80. Okay, because yeah, it was the Moscow Olympics edition gotcha. of the AE1. Because I've seen an 84 LA edition. But, yeah. um, but it, that was, doesn't that show you how good a design is, that it can last four years of incredible technological advancement yeah. and still go, I'm still the best thing? Yeah. Yeah, you can, your Pentax can come and, and go, they, and, they, yeah. and they were so successful back then. They made so many, which means they're so like you can get a camera with a lens these days for fifty bucks, and they work great. And they're, you know, it's a one point four aperture fifty mil. It's a standard. It says that's our standard lens. It's an, ex, it's an incredible camera. Yeah, yeah. For fuck all, you can really get it for nothing. But what do you want to shoot film for? Because it looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I saw that that first camera my dad gave me. I still have. I still use. Yeah. And it's the first thing I didn't take apart. Yeah. And I just took a lot. You know, I so saw, it's modular enough. You can pull lenses out enough. Exactly. Make you feel yeah, yeah, yeah. You can clean exactly. The, you can clean the mirror. And things yeah, like exactly. That. <laughs> Put a flash on. Take a flash off. Um, so you're running around. Were you like developing as well? Uh, not back then. Yeah. I wasn't developing back then. Um, Nah, I just chuck the rolls in with my dad's stuff. And he- Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Take it to lab and you know, it was just like simple, you uh-huh. know, nothing crazy. Um, but yeah, photography has, has, has been there all along as well uh, since the same, you know, first film days. Right. Well, we should talk a bit. You're here to, uh, tonight is the uh, is a Sydney screening. Is this a premiere in Australia? This is the Australian premiere. Tonight in yeah. Sydney of No Cameras Allowed. It is. Uh, which I'm sure people have seen the trailer by now. It's been knocking around for a little while. When did you first hear about the Coachella Festival? How old were you? Oh man, I was so late to the game when it comes to live music. I didn't know what a music. I didn't know anything about music festivals until until I got to college. You know, until I was at UIC. And then the first couple of years, you know, people were like raving about Coachella, and I was just like, I was just so nose up to it, like. Wait, eighty thousand people, sweaty, not even near the music, like paying that much money, like forget it. I'd rather just wait till the bands come to like the Troubadour and I'll you know go see them there. 
And um, finally, junior year, I was like, it was just the hype was hit an all time high. And these certain bands were going that I wanted to see so bad. And this one girl was going that I had a big crush on. What was her name? Her name was Kelly. Kelly. Yeah. Did you have conversations with Kelly about it? Uh, before Coachella? Yeah. yeah. She said, oh, like, you know, I'm going to Coachella. Are you going to be there? I'm like, uh, nah, it's not my, uh, you know. And I said, oh, okay, you're missing out. I'm like, I know it. Locked on target. So it's like. That was it. It's like a couple of days before the weekend. And my buddy Adam and I are both like, man, we should, we should go. Like, well. We, don't, we can't afford a ticket. They're all sold out. If we could scalp them, we, you know, we had like no money. Like, okay, well, screw it. Let's just go there and sneak in. You know, people sneak in every year. There's got to be people sneaking. Why don't we be those people? Why not us? Like, okay, cool. Let's do it. Then we realized the night before, I didn't have enough gas in the my tank to get us there. And we didn't have money to get get. get it's about oh, it's probably about 120 miles outside of LA. Yeah, it takes it takes about two and a half hours. Yeah. to get it's there. Out in the desert, past all the past Palm Springs, a hundred thousand windmills. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a, it's a really interesting part of the world. Yeah, it there. is it's up in the desert. It's like four six thousand feet. It's like level. it's like sand, windmills, and meth. <laughs> yeah, it's is, pretty much all that's out there. Is and, and, and Joshua Tree and a date farm. Yes. <laughs> And it's hot as balls. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! So you drive you halfway. What you'd realize? I can't afford to get there or back. Yeah. So exactly. So we put an ad on Craigslist mm. saying if whoever needs a ride to Coachella, we'll give you a ride. You just gotta pay for gas. And dude, Craigslist attracts. It's an interesting place. Oh my goodness. So uh, this guy and uh, this guy named Chris Lorello. Uh, replies back immediately. Hey, my name's Chris. I'm 20. I smoke a lot of weed. I'm not a rapist. I'll c- I'll come with you guys. And like, okay, you're you're it. <laughs> and then this crazy girl who flies in from somewhere. We pick her up at the airport, and the, we all go out there. And we and I re- we realize as we're going out there, no one has passes. Neither of them have passes either. And uh, and Chris. Uh, didn't have any money anyway. He got in the car and didn't have any money, so he didn't pay for it. So that girl paid for all the gas. <laughs> <laughs> so we get there, and uh, well, I don't, I don't mean, I don't want to ruin the film, but uh, that's our first, our first Coachella. You know, we get yeah. there at four a.m. the night before. We let Chris do his own things. We don't know him that well. We don't be, a, we don't want to. Yeah, he's a kind of a liability in our eyes. We want to get in our own way and like see on the see on the inside, see on the inside. And he does, he goes off, does his thing. The girl goes, does her thing. And Adam and I were all black, jump a fence, and end up uh, backstage at 4 a.m. the night before the festival, and and have to wait nine hours until the festival opens. So we sleep underneath truck trailers and stuff. And and Chris, as you'll see, he's now dubbed is his 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 nickname now is Acid Chris, and. Uh, and you'll see if if you ever want to figure if you want the the how to steps on how to sneak into Coachella while on acid, as a part of the film tonight via Chris Lorello. Yeah, anytime you get a drug as a part of your nickname. <laughs> yeah, I used to work with a guy called uh, Speedy. What was his name? Speedy Todd, like Sweeney Todd, Speedy <laughs> Todd. And the other one was um, he was a butcher. Yeah. At a big supermarket, and he would take acid and then go to work. 
tripping balls, carving up carcasses with the bone saw. Wow. <laughs> he was a pretty interesting cat. Wow. Um, look, I don't want to, I won't spoil the film, but the thing that is really fascinating to me is when did documenting your journey become just a part of what you were doing? All the way back to that very first one. So I, we had, we had tried to make a list of all different ways we could possibly sneak in. Number one was jumping the fence. Um, and we did that. We got it in that day. And I had brought a camera with me um, to take photographs of the wristbands of the people there. So day two, we, I, we had photographs of wristbands of people in the photo pit. They had um, you know, more access than the regular punters. And we went to Walmart and, uh, and got shoelaces and Sharpies and recreated these wristbands. I also had with me, that I borrowed from film, sco- borrowed from film school, um, a, a 1960s Airy S 16 millimeter camera, film camera. So a big one with Jesus. The, wheel, the big battery belt, the whole thing. And uh, I think that camera helped us get in. So we, we flashed these fake wristbands with that big camera. We just swooped right in the yeah. next day and it got backstage and everything else. So I was, I, I knew the cameras would help us look the part, but yeah. I also loved shooting. So I was shooting just, you know, people running around wild, shooting yeah. a girl Kelly, shooting these bands, getting closer, getting in the photo pit, getting on stage, you know. Yeah. Um, that night, I finessed my way all the way on stage with Muse, you know, the headliner of the festival. And, uh, yeah, it was... Can put on a live show, those boys. They can do. <laughs> my goodness. But But... As far as documenting yourself, I mean, people document themselves a lot now with an Instagram right. or they take a Vine or they take so a... So there was no documenting myself. That's, that was not... So after many festivals, after realizing I can make a movie out of all this, you know, my editor and I were combing through and those, those accidental times where I'm like turning the camera off or like putting it, you know, it's accidentally running and I get in... We're looking for all of those accidental moments where... Because the first cut of the film was all just showing music. That's originally what I wanted to do. And then when we showed our friends, like, okay, well, the sneaking in is way more interesting. Put that in there. It's like, okay, well, we got, you know, clips of the sneaking in. And then it was all like, well, why why'd you sneak in? And then to tell that story, it, it, it went all the way to the point where it is now, which mm. if you had asked me back then, I would never have ever agreed to. Right. I, being on camera and telling the story to your face as yeah. an audience, I hate that. <laughs> I It was so difficult doing that, like, it was horrible, but um, but I ha- it came to a point where I can make a, a music documentary about the music, yeah, and be like every other rock doc, or I can bring in a personal story yeah. that people who aren't necessarily fans of the music can still connect to. So yeah. it made it more of a universal theme with specific music in it, rather than you know a, a documentary just for those fans of the music. I'm I'm really interested in the things that uh, something that people do that gives them a motivation to do things they would do if they didn't have that thing. For example, when I go on a break, which is rare but because I'm shit at not working, um, when I go on holiday, I'm, I just can't sit around. I have to do something, which is why I like to go somewhere where I can like ski or snorkel or hike or explore. Um, also, ride my bicycle. I can take my bicycle and I, I go far away. What are the things in your life that you think you would never have done had you not had 
but I have to do this because there's 125th of a second that I need to be over there for and I can't do that from here. What are the things in your life that you wouldn't have done if you didn't have a camera in your hand? Oh, man, I don't know. Like The camera has gotten me into so much trouble. You know, it's, it's, the camera has pushed me to places that I, there's so many, so many instances, you know. Um, one clean example of that, pure example of that, is the running of the bulls in Spain. Uh, the reason you I got... You were working for HBO on that one, weren't you? For the second time around, yeah. Yeah, yeah the first year I went, I, I wrote a fake letter to the government... Told them I was a journalist from Los Angeles for this made-up magazine, and I had all these fake signatures and fake logos and everything. And I got a press pass. And that's the only way you can get close to the bulls without running. And you can't run with a camera. It's illegal to run with a camera. And so my first time there, I didn't know what, even what running the bulls was. I was happy to be living with a foreign exchange student there for the summer. And they were like, oh, yeah, this big thing is happening. I'm like, okay, cool. And so I got this press pass, and I went down there, and... Uh, I never would have gotten those shots if it wasn't for the camera. And I mean, when I was there, I, was, I had the most amazing views of these bulls running by and hitting the walls above us. And I was elbow to elbow on the ground next to these you know, amazing photographers, like big war photographers and newspaper photographers. And, and everyone is getting cool shots. They're all getting the exact same shot over and over and over every day. So I was like, what can I do that's different? What can I do that's... And I started putting myself... Uh, in the way of the bulls. And, and as you'll see in the film, there are a couple of shots where, you know, a bull doesn't, run or want any, run, doesn't want to run anyone over. If they can avoid you, they will. It's when they can't avoid you that they start horning people. So if you go low enough, they'd much rather jump over you than like scoop down and get you. So after I learned that, I went down really low with the camera and I got these shots of jumping over my head. And it was those shots that HBO saw and one year later hired me to come back and and do that. But I I would not have put myself there if I didn't have a camera. Absolutely not. It's so stupid. <laughs> but the shot's sick. <laughs> uh, so we, we spoke a little bit about using your, your film as a calling card. You uh, you took the, the photos that you shot that first trip in Coachella. One of those photos was of Jay-Z, the people at Bonnaroo, which is another festival in the south, saw that, so can we use this? You went out to Bonnaroo. You had to end up, even though they used your photo, you ended up sneaking in anyway. And you made a little compilation, a short, about getting into those two things. And again, you know, we're talking about like, just make it. Just fucking make it. Yeah. What were you thinking that short was going to get you? Why was it important for you to make that little version of what you think it could have become? Well, I, I didn't even think about a longer version. That was just for fun. That was like to show my friends, what, you know. It was also like... You know, when I was supposed to be shooting my school projects on 60 millimeter, uh, I was using all that film for shooting concerts and stuff. So let's just let's just explain to people like you can sit there with your iPhone and just roll digital, and it doesn't cost you anything. When you're taking one of these RE 16 millimeter cameras around, every foot of film is what. 10? Not even. It's, it's expensive. Yeah. If it, the, What's a foot? Is it like three seconds, five seconds? No. Oh, no, 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 way less. So yeah. there's 24 frames in one second. Yeah. So then how long is 24 frames? 24 frames is probably... Well, it's about an inch. I'm about a foot and a about half. About a foot and a half. So that's, that's one second. Yeah. And then 
that you have to pay for the film stock, pay for the developing, pay for the transfer. It's so expensive. Crazy expensive. So US Every time you button on, you're just yeah. burning money. You're burning money faster than fireworks. Absolutely. It's 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 nuts. So USC had it in the, you know, in the class budget. The thing is though, we get all of the dailies back, all of the footage back from the lab in one big bulk. So we sit there and we watch everyone's dailies. So then also my project pops up and here's the actors and stuff that were doing it. And all of a sudden it's like people running, running through a festival doing drugs, you know, like everyone's just like looking at me like, what, what is this? And, and the professor's like, is this part of your film? I'm like, yeah, it's part of the film I'm making, which has nothing to do with the script that they've approved. <laughs> and so they, they caught on, they got pissed. I got in a lot of trouble in film school. I broke every rule there, there was just to be able to make the film I wanted to make, um, whatever that film was. Um, but, but yeah, that it, it is, it films very expensive. And, uh, but you made this little, this little short so you could show your friend. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and then that short, like kind of ripped through our friend circle, you know, got passed around a lot. And, um, and Mumford and Sons who, who was, is in the film cause I snuck into, uh, their photo pit and shot that, um, we were coming to town three months, it was like three months after Bonnaroo by that point. And I did something I never do. I, I bought two tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly and I uh, had, were together that, by then. Um, we were a couple and I took- Kelly the girl you took to Coachella? No, I didn't take her. She was there with her friends and I, and I went out after you her. You finally met her? We met her. It all happened? Yeah. Oh, that makes me so happy. So we, we that makes me really happy. We became boyfriend, girlfriend, and Aww. I took her on a date to Mumford and Sons show. I brought that little DVD of Conru, how broke kids do Bonnaroo, short film in my pocket. And I was like, well, you know, I wonder what, what they would think if they ever saw this. And afterwards, I just handed it to the guitar tech. And after the show, everyone's like going crazy, like breaking it down, start doing the. And this guy, like no other guitar tech would have, would have like stopped what he's doing, come over and, and talk to me. And I was like, hey, I snuck into Bonnaroo to see you guys. Here's the video of it. You know, check it out. If you don't like it, throw it away. If you like it, give it to the band. He's like, yeah, yeah. And he goes back to working. Never think I'd, he'd ever even watch it. And he watched it, gave it to the band. band watched it and ended up emailing me and, uh, and saying, this is so cool. Can we send this to Edward Sharp, the friends of ours? And Edward Sharp was also in the film. And like, sure, and then they get in touch. And jointly, they end up inviting me to go on a railroad revival tour on this vintage train going across the country that they're living on and playing shows out of. And uh, yeah, that was, you know, I was, still wasn't even thinking about making a feature film. That was just like, are you, you know, being invited to go on a train with your favorite bands. Getting paid. And, and no, it wasn't, it wasn't getting ah, paid. It, right. was, it was literally just like, because they had a full film crew there. And one of my hero uh, director, you know, guy who I love his films, was directing that film. Wow! And so he has his whole crew. Who is that? Uh, Emmett Malloy, and oh, of the Malloys, Malloys, the surf yeah. guys. Wow! So, so, he, uh, so the Malloy brothers, the surfers, it's their cousin. Uh, but I, I do not. Yes. But that whole clan, and they yes. do a lot of stuff together. They do, yes. And yeah, yeah. Um, there's the Malloy brothers, the the directors as well. They're all this insanely yes. talented family in so many ways. Um, and I was just there to shoot whatever I want. They get to use the footage, but I was mainly just to stay out of the way of the real film crew, you know, but do whatever you want. And, and uh, yeah, so um, 
basically that was during my last college finals <laughs> um, in, order, in order to graduate. And I was already in so much trouble up to that point. And I had to pick between going on the train versus uh, going to my last college finals and graduating university. Um, I forgot what the question was. Well, let me just ask this question. <laughs> Did you have any communication with your folks at this point? Hey, mom. Hey, dad. They found out once I was halfway across the Arizona desert. <laughs> and the thing was, I would be back from tour just in time for actual graduation. But what if I, I, but I didn't graduate. So I was back in town. They had rented out a banquet thing for a celebration. People were coming in for it, whole family. It's too late to cancel it. And, they, and we don't really celebrate like in a big way, you know, like we have Firstborn like, sons graduating college. Exactly. <laughs> so luckily my mom's birthday was around the corner. So we used it as a celebration for that. But like the damn napkins were still USC colored, you know, uh, it was a gnarly, like this amazing high of going on tour. Like I can't even, that's a whole other, you know, like that, that was just insane. Um, and I filmed all that and that's in the film, but coming home and not going to graduation, going to this banquet thing that was supposed to be for me. And everyone's like, wait, you didn't, wait, wait, we didn't graduate. Wait, what happened? It was, it was, yeah, it was gnarly. Have you made peace with your folks about the direction everything's gone? Yeah. I mean that night, like my dad never drinks, like he doesn't drink often, you know, like, you know, and when he does, it's very light. I mean, that night he got pretty smashed. And on the way home, I got a text from someone like, hey, Rolling Stone came out today. You got to check it out. Go check out the new, the new magazine. So I make, I make, you know, my dad's in the back. My two brothers are like, like messing with him because he's like, it's just like, it's just like chaos. We pull over and I get out and I, it's a, this newsstand, get a magazine. And I'm looking through it. They ended up using my photograph as the main photo of the story on the Railroad Revival Tour. And it was the same day as the graduation was supposed to happen. So he gets out, he, look, he, he sees it, his eyes go big, and he just gets like a hundred, brings a $100 bill out, gives it to the guy and just takes a huge stack. And uh, it was like, not, not a degree, but it was something, you know. Wow, it never ceases to amaze me how the universe works like that. Oh, it worked out that night as well as it could have for the situation. <laughs> Which I, I do want to talk about this because you you got to go in a sec. But I, uh, this is what I, the other thing I found interesting. Beyond the connection between us, and we'll talk about this later. What have you learned as you've travelled around the world through through different places, different people, different circles of influence? What have you learned about the interconnectedness of people? Oh man, it goes deep. The more, uh, especially in the music world, especially, it is such a small world everyone is connected to everyone else somehow. And so what's amazing is you go on tour with bands and you're hitting city after city after city and festival after festival after festival and you end up seeing the same faces and you end up going out and the craziest shit happens on tour and that really brings you close. You know, your touring family is really a family. And, and, you know, a year later that family might have, you know, changed a little bit but you see the same people and, and it's, it's amazing how... You know, it just, you know, I've been to Australia once, you know, before, and now I'm back and 
I forgot how many people from the music world, from other walks of life, uh, happen to have, you know, are in Sydney. So it's, it's really cool. So perfect example, I just think about the city in the car, how many people I didn't realize, I thought I was gonna know like a couple of people. There's so many people here from different walks of life, from different, you know, seasons that, that I'm so excited to see. And, yeah. and then all of that, and it's crazy how some of them are connected and that they don't know that we're connected and stuff. Mm. It's it's cool. The more you travel and the more you are in a certain scene, I guess it's really cool because you know an extended family develops. And but I'm pretty sure. I mean, I've I've known you for 47 minutes and six seconds. Um, you leave people with uh, your calling card. And I've been told this. Your calling card is how you people feel about you once you've left the room. All hmm. right, that's that says more about who you are than what you do when you're with them and how people talk about you when you're not there. I've known you for now, you know, like I said, 47 minutes, but I'm guessing that once you've left the room, once you're gone, if anybody asks them about you, they're like, yeah, he's a good guy. <laughs> you know, what's it like having that, you know, once you got that cross-country uh, revival tour with Mumford & Sons, w- once you got that kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's not, what's the word? Registration, no. Don't ever get a head injury, Marcus. Uh, your nouns disappear. Uh, validation. Once you got that validation from that band, did that did that kind of help? Absolutely. They they ended up bringing me on their next tour and paying. You know, so it went it went from this like, hey, come with us, and you know, uh, Emmett used a bunch of my footage in his film, which is like the biggest honor ever. And that that relate, you know, that was like the beginning of the relationship that just kept on growing and growing, and eventually in a backwards way turned into a career for me. I never set out to be a, you know, working in the music world specifically. And in the past four years, since going on that train, it's been an insanely wild ride with them and with a bunch of other bands, with a bunch of these, I've seen sort of the weirdest stuff and been really, really lucky to have just, you know, the camera has been such a, a key to so many doors I didn't even know existed. And people from my background, from where I'm from, don't ever get to see that stuff. And that camera has, you know, smashed through a lot of those doors and it's been really, really, really wild. But going on tour with that train tour um, and getting to know them and getting to show them what what I can do um, really helped pave the way for Mm. many more tours. I I think it's... Just last night, I got an email from uh, a woman I used to live with uh, in that I rented a room off of her and I live with her and her family in Venice Beach. And just last night, I got an email from her going, hey, Ash, you really, uh, this guy coming down, he's an incredible filmmaker, you've really got to get him on your show. Um, and then she wrote in brackets, but you're probably going to get him on your show anyway. <laughs> and um, as Gabriella, because uh, I used to I used to live in that house that um, you've seen, like, that kind of just to go back a step, that interconnectedness of people. I mean, I know you through Mel, who I've known since uh, she was 16, through my old boss who introduced me to her. And but that you and I also have a connection from a completely different world. Yeah. And here we are on the other side of the planet. It's nuts. It's really weird to think about. It is it. Because we tend to think of ourselves, we were speaking before about Los Angeles being in, you know, being in a city where you see nobody right. and you're so isolated from the rest of the world. I think it's actually more indicative, personally, I think it's more indicative of that, yeah, we are all one community. 
Yeah. We are all people. We are all just here together on this ball of rock flying through space at 90,000 miles an hour. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, for, for me, the mind-boggling part is just the sheer like, – I just, I just got off a plane a couple hours ago, and it was 14 hours of going not 90,000 miles an hour, but a lot of miles an hour. Mm. And that distance – you know, I always try to comprehend in like actual – like, okay, I know how far it is if I ride my bike from the beach to Culver City. And then I do the math, how many miles – and how like, that's such a long way. And yet, you know, that, like you said, the interconnectedness – you know, almost erases that kind of thing. Uh, you're right. We're all on one rock. We're all, we're all species passing each other, crossing each other's paths. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, but I guess when that kind of synchronicity happens, when you find certain people that you connect with and those connections stay strong and then that, that those connections kind of grow a web. And, uh, yeah, there's been so many times like that that just – Oh wait, you know this person from all you know, complete, and and it doesn't have to be just music or whatever. I think it's just purely like just like a, you know, fellow, you know, just a love for fellow, mm. uh, fellow man. Do you find that that web, both seen and unseen, is there to catch you when you need it? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Because um, you strike me as the kind of guy who's like, I have no idea how this is going to work out, but I'm going to buy a one-way ticket and go. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. I don't have a return flight to America yet. <laughs> I don't. But there's people who would never get on a plane if they didn't know how they were coming home. Yeah. Never. That show's true. Absolutely. They wouldn't leave their house. Yeah. What would you say to people like that? What would you say to people who are like, oh, no, 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 I've got to know exactly how everything's going to work out before I leave my front door? Well, I'm kind of glad there's people like that because I think the world would be way imbalanced if it if it wasn't like – if everyone jumped fences into music festivals, it'd be mayhem. Yeah. Even if people like, you know, you know, there's so many people see my film and see that it's possible to jump fences. Um, we'll still never do that. You know, I can't tell you how many people in the front row at festivals where I'm shooting in the, and they'll tap me on the shoulder. Like Marcus, Marcus, I saw your film. This is my first festival ever. Thank you so much for, you know, opening my eyes to music. It's amazing. And, I, oh yeah, did you sneak in? It's like no, no, we just bought tickets, you know. And like we we thought we could sneak in, but but we didn't want to, you know. There's so many people, you know, bought tickets after seeing, you know. But and that's great because if this film started, you know, a revolution of of people jumping, yeah, it would be, wouldn't be nice. It wouldn't be pretty. It funny, wouldn't be great. No, no. You you went with intention. You went right. with intention. Again, the the camera took you there. And you went with it. You didn't go there to steal shit out of bands, vans, and you didn't go there to, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, hurt people. Yeah. You, you know, you went there for for a reason, with a purpose, had to hopefully bring value at some point to to the world. Um, I guess I was more asking about for people who are listening to this, you know, doing the dishes, doing their laundry, whatever people listen oh, to. I this need show to do laundry bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we don't have a dryer. I'd say <laughs> otherwise, do it here. Um, what would you say to people who? whether it be the new job or, you know, the new boyfriend or girlfriend or, you know, do I go to university, do I leave university, but are kind of a bit too worried about the unknown factors so they don't even make a move. What would you say to them? I would say what I've learned through all of this is you've got to keep your eyes super wide open to opportunity. And... A, you know, a lot of times that opportunity comes outside the context of what society tells you to do. 
and and you're seeing it more and more, and you know, especially in America, New University, where you know debt is you know sky high, and the return of what you get for a degree is becoming less and less. So people are really starting to look at like, well, what if I don't get a college degree? I'm I say, look at all the options possible, and don't be afraid of the ones that are unorthodox and less traveled and lesser known and sometimes more frowned upon. Um, I certainly did not go a traditional route. And had I gone a traditional route, I wouldn't be here in Sydney right now, for sure. Um, and I'm not saying everyone drop out of college and everyone jump fences. It's, it's, it's in your own life and what you're, you know, if you know what you want, look at every avenue of getting it and take the one that will get you there quickest, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. <laughs> Mate, I couldn't be more happy for you. You're on the other side of the planet. You're, uh, you've, you've got a sold-out gig tonight. You're going to be talking with Daniel Bode, who's a, a fantastic Australian photographer. Yeah, I can't wait to meet him. Yeah, he's, a, he's even interviewed you on the phone. Yeah, right? on the phone. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great shooter. Awesome. Him and his, him and yeah, his, his work is incredible. Him and his missus are great. They've, been, they've worked their balls off, though. Yeah. They've done nothing but work. That's awesome. Since I've met them 10 years ago. It's nothing but work. Yeah. Mate. This has been great. Thank you so much for coming over. I know you want to have a nap. Thank um, you, Asha. No. <laughs> no worries. I was going to take your photo, all right? Yeah, for oh, sure. Cool. For right. sure. And that was Marcus Haney. You can find him on Twitter at Marcus, H-A-N-E-Y. Let him know you heard him here on the show. If you like this show, please do me the kindness. Just tell someone, share it, retweet it, put it on Instagram. That'll be ace. That's the best thing you can do for me. That's the most wonderful way you can possibly repay me is just tell someone else about the show um, and that you get something out of it if you get something out of it. Send me an email if you like. Send Osher email at gmail.com. I need to go to bed because it's 9.30 on Sunday night. My bedtime is two hours ago. And, um, yeah, you always know. You, like, if your alarm has a three in it in the hour column, you should not be going to bed after 9 o'clock guarantee you that so anyway i'll uh let this beautiful music from toe hider uh, just drift you away while i uh, wish you good night and thank you from the bottom of my very heart for listening and being a part of this show being a part of this journey that i'm on and um just have a great week i hope everything that you get to do this week is wonderful and i hope that everything that you get to share with other people this week is just as wonderful so until i talk to you next time Sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 